Faith in its proper perspective is really asking a different set of questions. Danger, Will Robinson! Danger! Don't let the system subvert you to their will. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Nero, in particular, is violently oppressive of Christians. He set them afire. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. If you are not a believer, if you're not a person of faith, the mistake that you will make very often is you'll think that Christianity, that faith, is a support. So people will say that you're Christians because it's a crutch for you to lean on because you don't have the strength. You can't face up to the existential dread that there's nothing out there. There's no giant father clause in heaven to make your life better. And you need that crutch. You need that thing to just help you get by. Or some people think that faith, well, it's just, it's a support system for people who really haven't got the, uh, the guts to look at life and to take it and to challenge what they have been told. You'll say it's a support system. But those that have faith, the mistake that you will likely make is that you will often say, as a believer, as a person of faith, as a Christian, a church person, you'll see faith as a supplement so a supplement that adds to your life. Many Christians, they believe it all. They've been in church maybe for a long time or maybe a short time. But you believe it, but you just think it's a supplement to your life. So you have a normal life. You do the same thing as everybody else around you. Your nine to five looks no different. The way you spend your money, the way you do relationships, the aspirations that you have, your vision, your passion, your devotions, your disciplines... Exactly the same as everybody else, but just with a little supplement, a little bit of Jesus icing on top. And you come to church, and uh, you're here on a Sunday, you come once or twice a month, or you come every week, you feel good about yourself, but fundamentally, your faith is a supplement. It's just something that is added. It's not radical, it's not something that changes you. Fundamentally, it just supplements your life. You know that you believe the right thing, it has affected you, you're up for it, and you know that your eternal Security is safe, uh, but you take it no further. Now, the thing that those two mistakes have in common is that they both see faith as something which is safe. Everyone say safe. You think it is safe. It's something that you do on your terms. So Christianity is a nice crutch for weak-minded people, and it's something which is safe and helpful, and it's not going to threaten them. It's going to make their life easier. It's going to make their life more pleasant. It's going to make their life a little bit more palatable from the harsh truths of the real world. People that like to live in a little bit of fantasy land, it's safe. And for those that are believers, having that supplemental kind of version of Christianity, that little Jesus icing Christianity, it's safe because I've got faith in Jesus, but it doesn't challenge me. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't call anything out of me. It's not painful. It doesn't cost. It's safe. When we talk about dangerous faith, all we're talking about is faith in the way that it is presented in Scripture. You can, thank you, water it down. 
You can just make it tepid. You can just settle it down and you can have a safe version. But that is not what faith is about. And so if you are a believer and you do not have a dangerous faith, then this series is for us to think, how am I going to make my life changed and transformed by a dangerous faith? But if you are someone that's looking and exploring on the outside in, you just need to know that faith is going to be a challenge. And I want you to know straight up, right up, right from the very beginning, that if you should pursue this faith thing, it will not necessarily be easy. It will be challenging. You saw in the trailer the different pictures of persecution of the church and people whose lives have literally been asked of them. And that's a theme that goes all the way through the scriptures, the message and the teaching of Jesus that Christianity, faith, dangerous faith, it will cost you your life. It may be physically, literally, but it is definitely going to be emotionally, socially. And uh, this is what Jesus talks about. Now, Paul, who was one of the early Christians, he used to be an unbeliever, persecuted the church, and then he began to spread the Christian message after he had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. He wrote a letter to Christians, new believers, in the capital of the Roman Empire in Rome itself. Now, these weren't Jewish people. They didn't understand all the ins and outs of faith as it had been handed down to the Jewish people for generations. And so Paul spells it out, what the good news is, that there is a God, that he requires something of us as human beings, that we all fall short of what we expect of ourselves and what God expects of us. But God, because of his infinite love and mercy, came down in human form, became a man, Jesus Christ, showed us what it's like to be truly human. And then gives his life voluntarily on the cross, paying the price for every wrong thing that we've said, thought, and done. And beats death, beats everything that holds us back, holds us down, rises from the dead on the third day, and now comes to give us his spirit. And Paul spends 11 chapters in this book. It's just a letter, actually. Uh, 11 chapters explaining all these things to these early Christians. And then, at the end of it, when he's gone through all the good news, the teaching, the things that you need to understand, know, and believe, he doesn't leave it there. He says, faith, if it's really going to be faith, has to be worked out. You have to put it into practice. He says, as a result of everything that I've told you about God, his love, the cross, the resurrection, this is what I want you to do. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of all these things, therefore, because of all these things that we've gone through, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everyone say living sacrifice. sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Paul says, I want you to sacrifice your life on a daily basis. I want you to sacrifice your rights. I want you to sacrifice your time, your energy, your resources. I want you to sacrifice your future. I want you to sacrifice your dreams. I want you to make hard choices. And I have to say, it's not a safe faith. For many years in my life, I was a supplemental Christian. Don't get me wrong, I still slip into supplemental Christianity all the time. But when I was younger, it was my default position. And I was very, very clear on this. I was very clear. I do not want to be a sacrifice. I do not want Christianity to have that kind of primacy in my life. I don't want to submit myself to God because I don't want to be one of these naff Christians. Naff Christians who only listen to Christian music, only go on Christian holidays, only drink milk from a Christian cow. Naff 
Christians. And I just thought, I don't want to be like that. I want to be myself. I want to be real and I want to enjoy my life. And I, I don't want to be just buckled down and, and made to be this thing which I, I really don't find it attractive. But when Paul speaks, he says, listen, think about this. Think about God's mercy. And in the end of the day, that was what switched me. It was realizing how much God loves me and has done for me. So I can trust him. But Paul goes one step further. He says, this is your proper worship. That word proper, in the Greek, it's actually the word logikos, which is where we get logical. In other words, Paul is saying this. I'm not just asking you to throw your life down, to commit yourself to Christ, to become a Christian, to live the Christian life. I'm not just asking you because it's a good thing and it's a, it's a great response to what God is doing. I'm asking you to do this and I'm urging you because it's logical. This makes sense. This is actually the most logical position that you can take in your life. This is rational. It's rational to give your life over to God. It's rational and logical to let God be the one that dictates how you live and how you do your life, how you set your goals, your aspirations, your values, your vision. It's logical to submit all of that to God. You say, why? Well, he goes on. He says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, it's a clear choice. Either you sacrifice, lay down your agenda, lay down your rights, lay down your life before God, or you're going to be conformed, whether you like it or not, to the pattern of this world. And what Paul is saying, and you really need to hear this, you need to come in on this, because this is absolutely key. Paul is saying that unless you have intentionally worked and thought through the assumptions that we all carry with us in our lives, your experience of the world and your understanding of the world that we live in has been chosen for you. You interpret the world based on factors totally outside of your control. Factors that have been in place since the very moment that you were born. Things that have been handed down to you by others, your family, your friends, the culture at large, the media, the things that you have seen, your experiences. You actually have been shaped. This word pattern, it's the Greek word schema. It basically says there is a pattern of the world. The literal thing that he says in the letter that he wrote is it's the pattern of this present Age. In other words, it's a pattern that is all to do with the here, the now, the temporal, the thing that isn't about the ultimate future of where we're going. It's not the transcendent, it's not the divine, it's not the eternal. It's the here, the now. And actually, it's dictated by dark forces that are not in your best interests. You can either submit yourself to God or you can be conformed to the pattern of the world around you. And it's so important, whatever you think about your faith, your life, your experience, it's so important that you examine what that is all about. We understand that the way that we are made as human beings is that there's a pattern, there's a schema, which is the Greek word, a pattern of thinking, a pattern of behavior that you are not conscious of. Did you know, it's going to get a little bit technical, but bear with me, with your brain, in your mind, every single second, you have three thousand uh, actions that your brain performs, things that you evaluate, things that you think about. Your brain goes through 3,000 things. You are only conscious of five to seven of them. 
Because the way that the brain works, the way that we think, the way that our behavior comes through, basically the brain works with neural firing. In other words, there are neurons connected to other neurons. They're connected by dendrites. The more dendrites that you get, the... Forget that. Let's put it this way. Imagine that you're walking through a field. The grass is long. The grass is high. And in order to get from A to B, from where you are, from where you want to be, you have to sort of beat down the path. There is no path, and so the going is heavy. The grass is just, it provides resistance, but you walk through it. Now, you come back that same way the next day, and you make it a little bit easier. You trample the grass down a little bit more. You keep doing that over and over and over and over and over and over again. And after a while, what you've got is you've got a rut, you've got a path, you've beaten the thing down. There's no grass, there's just soil, and the soil has got beaten into a path. That is how the brain works. Basically, the more you do something, the more it becomes unconscious behavior. So here's a show of hands. How many of you here have learned to drive? Put your hands up. Okay, probably about half of you, which is kind of what's about average these days. Put your hand up if you had your mother or your father or both teach you how to drive. Put your hand up right now. Okay, now how did that go with you? How did that work out? <laughs> Terrible. I had, I mean, my father, that nearly ended us when he took me out uh, in the car. My mother, she needed counseling after she had taken me out. Because when you're learning, what happens is it's all in your prefrontal cortex, which is the executive center of the brain. That's when you're really thinking about it. The grass is high, and you're trying to think, which one is the brake and which one is the accelerator? Oh, sorry, wrong one. I had this thing that I was scared about the distances of the car, and so I would always avoid parked cars on my left. And so it meant that I would kind of be in the middle of the road. And I remember this one particular time when uh, we were just on this little winding country lane, me with my mum. My dad refused, you know, and he'd taken out a court injunction. But I was there with my mum. We're driving. I'm just trying, desperately trying to figure it out, remember how everything works. And uh, I'm nervous about the left-hand side, and so I'm in the middle. There's this big articulated lorry coming down towards us, and my mum's screaming at me, and she's saying, Philip! Go back, go round, move aside, move aside. And I said, Mom, you're stressing me out. Stop shouting at me. You're not helping me. She says, but we're going to die. Please move aside. And uh, it was awful, and we didn't die. I just made it, and you know, I accidentally pressed the wrong buttons. But when you learn, so, so hard. But then when you got it, and you repeat it, Suddenly, that thing goes into automatic. You don't think about it. And now I'm driving and I'm teaching my own girls and, and I've been in the same position. And even though I am not in the driver's seat when I'm with them, suddenly your, your foot is just spasming on its own, just putting the brake down, even though there is no brake, just because it's, it's automatic. Your brain just says, I know how to do this. I'm going to do this anyway. And that's how the brain works. You learn something and then it becomes automatic and it becomes un. Conscious. 
So when you tie your lace, you don't have to figure out about the dog chasing the rabbit around the tree and going down a hole. You just do it. You've done it thousands of times. It is unconscious. You drive to work. You're not even aware that you have driven there. You can't remember the route. It's just all happening in a different part of your brain. It's not now the prefrontal cortex. It's gone into your neural pathways. So that grass path that you make. It's a neural pathway. And the more that you do something, the more automatic that it becomes, which is why you can just close the door as you lock the key, or you can walk or chew or run, and you don't think about it. It's automatic behavior. You say, Philip, where are you going with this? It's very, very simple. What you have is you have a pattern, not just of automatic things like driving and walking, but you have a pattern in terms of how you think. Listen to this. If you phased out, phase back in again. The more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought. Let me say that again. The more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought. That's how we get patterned, we get programmed, because even before we are aware, even before we are conscious, other voices are coming in. So you're born, you're a baby, you're sweet, you're cute, you're just fantastically instinctive about life, and you smile at this face that's looking down on you, and the face goes, oh, Gaga, what a good little boy, in my case. And you smile, and then you get more affirmation, and your brain goes, ooh, smiling, good. And maybe you have, I don't know, the way that you were brought up. Maybe when you were a baby, you weren't even conscious of this. You wanted something, you wanted your sucker, and uh, you just cry, and your mom says, you're not getting your sucker. And you cry, 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 and you throw some stuff on the floor, and you yell, and it's embarrassing, it's in the middle of Sainsbury's. And then finally the mother says, okay, 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 gives you the sucker, and Suddenly, your brain is being programmed. Ha ha, this is how I get my way. And in all kinds of ways, the way that we think about life, we are patterned according to the world around us. We're patterned according to our experiences. And it is in no way neutral. There's an agenda happening here. What's the biggest form of mind control and programming that most of us go through right now? How about what's on your phone? That thing that you check 150 times a day if you are a typical uh, young adult, 20s and 30s. That thing, social media, it has a way of just informing our belief. In fact, scientists today will tell you that people will just get their phone out without even realizing it. That itself is an automatic behavior. In fact, some of you, you've got your phone out right now and you're feeling a little bit self-conscious about it because you can't go for very long without checking in on your phone because the phone will give you a dopamine rush. It will reinforce the pathways in your brain. And on the phone, we see our friends or we see random celebrity people having their best life. And it's pressure, pressure to conform, pressure to be a certain way, pressure to be in that pattern of the world. One of my friends, he posted something on Facebook the other day, and it was a family thing that he had with his children and uh, his wife, and they looked so happy, and they're all smiling, they look good, it's filtered, it's just beautiful. And I saw him a few days later, and I said, hey, wow, I saw your post, I liked it, it was really, really cool. He said, Philip, 
one of the worst days of my life. I mean, we were at each other's throats. It was a disaster. It was a nightmare. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I was let down. I was irate. I was angry. I was 10 seconds from divorce. And then someone said, oh, we should take a picture. And so we all smiled. And there it goes on. And suddenly it becomes a point of envy for other people. And that's what social media does. It takes your nightmare day and makes other people jealous of it. Because social media gives us, and I'm not saying, you know, we're not down on social media. I'm just saying this is the reality. This is the world in which we live. You've got social media. You've got the media. You've got advertising. You've got all these messages coming at us night and day saying, this is how you should be. This is how you should look. You should have this beard. You should have these breasts. You should have this six-pack. You should have this look, this car, this house, this lifestyle. If you don't, you're missing out. And the messages come and they reinforce And Paul says to the Christians, he says, you're going to be patterned after someone else's pattern. You're going to be squeezed into someone else's mold. And what it does is this. It makes you conform. So that's the second thing. He says, don't conform. So there's one thing to have your thought patterns, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about others. But it inevitably leads to behavior. So the way that you behave, the way that you do your life, it's actually something that comes as you conform to what everybody else around you is doing. Because you have the thinking pattern of the world. You didn't ask for it. You didn't uh, look for it. You just got it handed down to you. So some of the ways in which we conform. We'll conform in the way that we do relationships. So the vast majority of people in our culture today will say, if you want to have a great relationship with someone, then you need to have great sex. So let sex lead with sex. Let that be the thing that you kick off with, that that starts the thing. And uh, that the better way to have the best possible relationship, sex is a really important part. You need to get as much experience. In fact, you should practice on a whole bunch of people just so that you're able to perform your best when you meet the one. And that we have these crazy ways of doing relationships. And how many times do we just conform to this without thinking about it? Because it's unconscious. The more you think a thought, the more automatic it becomes. You behave in a way sexually just like the way that you tie your shoelaces because it's just now become ingrained. It's a super highway pathway in your brain that you just go there naturally and automatically. And some of you will think, I don't want to get married because you know that 50% uh, nearly of marriages end in divorce. 42% of marriages end in divorce. And so you say, I don't want to get married. Uh, I'm going to live with, with someone without actually realizing or working out that cohabiting is five times more likely to end in a split than a marriage. And there's all these things. And now we're not going to go into them today. But what it is... It's an example of you conforming to a pattern that you haven't really thought necessarily through. You've been given it. It's something that's been handed to you. It's something that you are now constrained with because we are patterned by the world that we live in. What about the way that we think about our aspirations in life? So many of us, it's like, what kind of job do you want? I want a job that pays a lot of money. Why? Because that's going to get me the things that I need. 
And we have this idea we're conformed to a materialistic pattern that says if you want to be happy, you get more stuff. At no point do we interrogate that and think, well, you know, how many people that I know who have stuff? Are they great people? Are they nice people? Are they wonderful people? You know, how many of us think, yeah, forget Mother Teresa, I'd really like to be like that rich banker, uh, the 1%, because they're clearly lovely, warm-hearted, wonderful people to be around. And I'm not knocking bankers. Sorry, Steve. But um, without thinking about it, we end up conforming. And the language that Paul is using, it's like this. It's, it's almost like saying, you have a choice. You can either go with a faith that is dangerous, which is going to challenge you, going to ask a lot of you, submit your life to God, sacrifice yourself to him, but do it knowing that he has given everything for you and he is worth trusting, or inevitably... You're going to be patterned and programmed by the world around you, the prevailing culture. And what it does is it ends up making you a sausage. Okay, got a bunch of sausages here. Now, please don't shake my hand after this. But this is a sausage. Do you know what sausage is? Sausage is all the junk that's left over from the animal that they don't want you to see. And so they take it, you know, eye of bat, toad, bits of dog, and they throw it into this stuff and they put it into a machine and they squeeze it into a mold. And every sausage ends up looking like every other sausage. They've all been squeezed into this. This is just disgusting. I've got sausage all over me. Every sausage just finds itself, sorry, you know, my daughter, when I told her I was going to do this, she said, Dad, this is a bad idea. <laughs> my wife, Kate, she said, Hun, I will knit you some sausages. I said, I don't want you to knit me some sausages. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, anyway. <laughs> but what we get is we get sexist sausages. Because they are full of people's thoughts about how you treat women. And the more you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought. And that's why we have casual sexism, because we've got sexist sausages. They've just taken what's in the cultural soup around them and says, this is okay to think about women. This is okay to think about the opposite sex. You just take it. You accept it. You're programmed by it. You go through the machine. Processed junk is just shoved into your system, and you find yourself in that same position. You get racist sausages the same way. Just a bunch of junk that your dad said to you, or that the, the culture around says you, or the way that you were brought up, not blaming them, because the thing just goes down the, uh, the line. We receive these things, not good things, not healthy things, not helpful things. But you know what you get? The worst, maybe it's not the worst, but it's definitely one that I want to talk about. Atheist sausage. Do not be an atheist sausage. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be an atheist sausage. <laughs> we have atheist sausages. My wife, most of her family, in fact, all of her family, they're not Christians, they're all atheists. And an atheist sausage, they say to her things like this, everybody knows that science has disproved God. It's just something that was squeezed into a tube and pushed into their mold. They've just accepted it. 
It's, they'll say things like, everybody knows that God has been disproved. Everybody knows that Christianity is just for people who are judgmental and they have no real way, they've got no real backbone. Listen, I don't mind you being an atheist. I've got nothing against you being an atheist. In fact, if you are a sincere atheist, I've got plenty of time for you. But if you're an atheist, just because someone shoved some assumptions into you and you haven't examined it, then that is not a great place for you to be. And you're better than that and you deserve better than that. You know, someone will say, well, I'm an atheist because I've, I've, I've heard all the arguments that say there isn't a God and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that there isn't. But you haven't looked at the other side. It's a bit like someone saying, well, you know, I am convinced that Spice Girls is the best girl band that ever lived because I've listened... I've listened to all their songs, and they're all great, and so therefore, Spice Girls, listen, unless you've listened to the other girl bands, you don't know. You can't make an informed choice. If you make an informed choice, you know what we all know, that Little Mix are the best girls band (laughs) ever. You can come to an opinion, but you need to have an opinion about why it makes sense. Sam, could you give me a little... I want to get this sausage off me. Take it. Yeah. Bits on, throw me the bag. Not that bag. Thank you. Can I just give, give a shout out to my daughter for carrying the sausages to me and uh, bearing with me? So, big round of applause for my daughter. That was way grosser than I imagined. But it's something of what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't be squeezed into this mold. Don't have this sad, skinny sack with junk from everybody else's ideas and thoughts pushed and rammed into your life. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can be transformed. You don't merely have to be the handoff, the end result of everybody else's thoughts, and uh, misconceptions and prejudices, you can actually be transformed. If you were programmed from birth with negative things about you, you can actually be transformed to be the person that God has made you to be, that God has called you to be. That word transformed, again, the Greek is the word metamorphosis, where we know about metamorphosis because of uh, metamorphosis is what will change a caterpillar into a butterfly. And Paul is saying, listen, the most logical thing you can do with your life is to explore this faith, is to do the work, is to figure out if it is really true and then commit your whole life to it. Don't be a supplemental Christian. And don't have the misconception that it's just a support. Actually, look, and what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be looking at some of the reasons why faith actually is incredibly powerful. It's, there's amazing reasons and evidence for this. We're not stupid. We have thought long and hard and deep about this. And as a result of that dangerous faith, we've decided to dedicate our lives wholly over to God. And God brings you into the kind of transformed butterfly. You take flight, you have wings that he wants you to be. I want to suggest a couple things 
for you. Now, if you're someone that is a church person and you think about your life, you think, you know what, Philip, I kind of am a little bit prone, as we all are, to that supplemental Christian thing. I give God a little bit of my life. He has a proportion. He's got a little bit uh, fenced off for him. Here's a challenge for you. Three things. One, find a hub. Find a midweek group. And if you're part of one, commit to it because it's in that community of coming together and discussing and praying and doing life and doing church and thinking things through that we begin to be renewed. Our minds, those old thought patterns, start to be erased. The brain is an amazing thing. It's not set in stone like concrete. It's plastic and malleable. And you can change the way. You can be transformed. You can be metamorphosed. So join a hub. Get a mentor. Again, if you're new to us, you may not know that we have a mentoring thing that we love to offer to people where you meet with someone, or maybe a couple of people, once a month, and you go through life and you look through, what does it mean to have a dangerous faith that changes me? And then finally, number three, just let God speak to you. The daily discipline of reading scripture is something more than anything else that will rewire your brain to Think in a godly, Christ-like way. And if you're not a believer, here's a couple things that you can do. One, keep coming to this place. Now, I know that you were brought under whatever kind of pressure that people put on you or whatever curiosity drew you here. But my encouragement to you is carry on. Because this is a place where we want to be open to exploring faith. And we want to create a place and a space for you which is easy for you to think it through. And if at the end of it you come to the point where you think, no, I've looked at it, I've done the work, it's not true, I don't believe it, I'm not convinced, then that's fine, you walk away. But you walk away with confidence. And you walk away more able to make a decent, informed decision about your life. But the second thing, it's Alpha. We've got our Alpha course starting on Wednesday. That's 10 weeks. You have a talk, you have a meal, you split into groups. It's a time where you make friendships, where other people are asking the same kinds of questions as you. So come along here. Get involved with Alpha. And then this is what Paul says will happen. He says this, so if we get rid of the Greek, go back to the rest of the verse. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. My issue as a young Christian was I just thought God's will is tough, constrictive. It's going to coerce me. It's going to make me naff. Actually, I found that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. And for those of you who are thinking, yeah, but I, I don't know about the church thing. I don't know about the faith thing. I don't know if I've got faith. Well, faith isn't something that you just magically get. We've all got faith in something. Faith just means to be convinced of something and live your life in the light of that. But what Paul says is, if you do this work, if you allow God to start to transform you by thinking deeply about things and allowing his influence to come and rewire the way that you think about the world and the way you think about yourself, you'll be able to test and approve it. You'll be able to prove for yourself that this stuff is true. Now next week, we are going to do a, a, a topic that I'm incredibly excited we're going to look at Roman candles. And I'm going to give you what, for me, is one of the most incredible 
evidences for the Christian faith. This one thing alone makes me believe that it is all true. And what I find so remarkable is almost nobody talks about it. You don't need to believe in the Bible. You, don't, you just need to know the world and you need to know history. And we're going to look next week and it is going to blow your mind. So if you're not a believer, come back next week and bring some friends and just get them to check in the things that you're hearing because this stuff is so, so powerful. If you are a Christian, come back, bring your friends because we have great, great good news for everybody. So this is where I want to land before we get the band back up. I just want you to pick one thing, whether you're a believer or not a believer. I want you right now to think one thing. What one thing are you going to do in this next week or so? Now, maybe you're a Christian you say, yeah, I'm going to get involved with Hub. I'm going to go to Lydia's because she looks nice. Or it may be, I'm going to do Alpha Starts on Wednesday. We've got two metro groups. They're just going to be fantastic, fantastic places. It's free, free to get in, free to get out. You don't like it, you go, you have a free meal, you leave, you never come back. No harm, no foul. But you do one thing, whatever it may be. And in the moment, I'd like us to pray through that stuff. But here's my big idea before we pray. The world we live in naturally squeezes us into patterns of thinking. But a dangerous and sacrificial faith leads us to life transformation through the renewing of our minds. Okay, let's pray. just want you to keep your eyes closed by your head. And I just want you to take 30 seconds to think through that one thing that you're going to do. It may be join a hub. It may be ask about mentoring. It may be starting a Bible habit. Just read a few verses every day. But over time, that will become a well-worn path and it will start to impact and affect your life in the most positive way imaginable. Or it may be, I'm going to do that alpha thing. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about that one thing that you're going to do and I want you just in this silent moment just to make a little commitment to God, even if you don't believe that he exists, and just say, God... If you're real, this is the one thing I'm going to do. And you're exploring dangerous faith. Father, I want to pray for every single one of us. Every single one that's here, every single one that's watching. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us, that you would rewire us, that you would transform us, that you would metamorphosize us, that we would be the people we know we want to be, the people that we always hoped to be, that we get rid of our hang-ups, that we get rid of our prejudices, that we think clearly, that we're able to be individuals, not a bunch of sausages on a string. I pray by your Spirit you start to renew our minds as a community of faith. I pray that we wouldn't take the safe option but that we would go deep with our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.